This meeting is being recorded. Yes, it is. Good morning, everybody. Today is Sunday, March 27th, 2022, and you are watching or listening to another great edition of Forward Maryland. My name is Bill Woodcock. And I'm Steve Hunt. Hope everybody's having a great weekend so far. Thank you, Steve. And Steve, I cannot help but notice your, uh, your T-shirt today. Uh, for those in viewer and listener land, uh, Steve is, is, has not gone goth. Uh, he is showing his allegiance. That is, that is a old school WCW, or was it NWO, Outsiders t-shirt, Steve. What has inspired this blast from the quarter century old past? Well, you're, you're right. This is a vintage 1990s shirt. No, it's not the movie either. Uh, it is the original Outsiders, uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. And I won't get into the whole WWF invasion and all that stuff, the NWO. If you don't know, you, you're listening to the wrong podcast probably. But uh, this is a tribute to one half of the Outsiders, Scott Hall, rest in peace. He, he passed away um, recently after... A, a number of illnesses. He had not been doing well over the years, but uh, it, you know, just one of the the two people, along with Kevin Nash, who you, you would have to say changed wrestling and ushered in a lot of what we see today. I mean, they begat you know the D Generation X and Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. All of what they do, um, the forefather is always is Ric Flair, but the Outsiders modernized it and made what they did. They took the Four Horsemen and made it cool <laughs> and uh so i just wanted a little shout out to scott hall i'm an old school wrestling guy also i have to mention oh by the way that triple h has announced his retirement from in-ring wrestling um he said he doesn't want to have to do any more surgeries so he has announced his retirement and uh finally last night some pretty sad news uh taylor hawkins the drummer from the foo fighters was uh found dead in days before a concert in South America. And uh, that, that's really sad. Obviously, Dave Grohl, DMV guy, uh, born and raised, uh, before he found his way to Seattle and met some guy named Cobain. But uh, some, some sad news on the uh, music front as well. So Scott Hawk, considering today's subject matters, I figure we may be diving into the squared circle a little bit. So appropriate. Steve Hunt bringing all the topical pop culture references today. The, the death of, of Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, who also also had uh, roots in the uh, in the DMV, uh, was a Marylander for, uh, I believe, uh, for a while in his life before he moved to Florida and started his wrestling career. Uh, it's funny because you could hear a little Maryland accent and some of the old promos from when he was big Scott Hall in the AWA. But Steve, uh, you are certainly correct. The... Uh, the forming of the New World Order faction within World Championship Wrestling in the 90s, uh, where you know where World Wrestling Federation superstars were, uh, the storyline was that they were invading World Championship Wrestling and forming a new organization called the New World Order uh, to take over World Championship Wrestling. And actually, my my more uh, studied and scholarly wrestling friends tell me that that was that was taking off of a, I believe a New Japan pro wrestling oh. angle about two or three years prior. 
uh, where some where's that that was done. But uh, certainly, and in, in, when done in the U.S., it, it became a new art form. Uh, my my favorite of the factions was one of the you know many imitations because then the '90s and 2000s became this era of faction based yep. wrestling. But when the WWE brought forth the Canadians. Bret Hart and Owen Hart, Jim Neidhart. I think the Rujos were in there. Uh, and the Canadians were absolutely loved north of the border, but mm-hmm. yet they were booed in the U.S. <laughs> so, so I mean, this is only maybe only the real ever that, – that, that's like the most aggressive there ever has been any sort of friction between Canada and the United States was mm-hmm. – was was uh, the WWE in the early and mid '90s before the infamous Montreal Swerve, which which could be uh, a, a whole separate podcast in itself, Steve. But yes, and stuff. and sad news on the music front over the weekend about the loss of the drummer of the Foo Fighters, and uh, yeah, it's it's been quite an eventful weekend. But we are not here to talk about any of that. And, and for the remaining audience who has not tuned out after our <laughs> geeking over pro wrestling, uh, we are here to talk politics, as is our one. So, Steve, big news on Friday afternoon as, um, as an under Anne Arundel County judge, Lynn Battaglia, uh, a name very familiar in Maryland politics, uh, overturned the state's uh, congressional districts, the map that had been uh, proposed and adopted by the state legislature over the objection of Governor Hogan. And this, again, throws a um, already uh, confusing and annoying election cycle into disarray. Uh, already, the deadlines for both filing candidacy and the actual primary election date have been delayed twice. Um, already, um the uh, state house leg- uh, leadership has said that they will try to honor the March 30th deadline to get a new map approved. Now, the 30th is Wednesday, so yeah. that doesn't leave for a lot of time, but apparently they think they can get a new map approved by then and then enacted, uh, which means that the governor will veto it and then the veto will be overridden. Um and, and so and so right now, I mean, we have people running. And, of course, in Maryland, you don't need to live in the congressional district in which you uh, intend to run. But we have literally hundreds and thousands of Marylanders who still don't know what congressional representative they'll be voting for when the primary happens now in four months. Uh, Steve, I've never seen, in, in all my years of being involved in Maryland politics, I've never seen such confusion. What do you, what do you make of this mess? Well, a, a couple of things, Bill. Number one, and I, I will preach this, I started back when, in 2016, with the presidential election, you know, just why people did not need to be, um, you know, totally blasé about, oh, Hillary, but what, elections matter. And Hogan, over the eight years, some of these judges who were involved in this process are straight out of Hogan. So, you know, our, our, the judges have changed. So that, that's just one of the reasons why elections matter, people. So that's my PSA for why vote and why courts matter. 
um, but uh, as far as the maps, I was very surprised because if you look at the map that was approved, um, it was not as bad as you see in some other states where there, you know, similarly been lawsuits and and maps have been overturned. Um, obviously, the big point of contention was District One, and I, I got to tell you, the Democrats in Annapolis actually took heat from other Democrats because they did not go crazy to make Maryland's delegation eight zero in their favor. Um, they turned one into, I think it went from deep red to light red. I wouldn't even call it purple. I think you know. Uh, Harris still would have been favored, um, even with you know a candidate um, uh, running out there. Gosh, I cannot. Her name is not coming to me right now. I'm Heather sorry, Bezier. Thank you. I'm short on coffee right now, people. So um, I, I mean, it, it was not a crazy map by by you know map standards. So I was surprised, but again, that's why elections matter. But uh, you, you're right. I, I I don't know what's what to make of this. It is absolutely crazy. I feel for the candidates running. Um, I feel for the voters. You mentioned you know hundreds of thousands of people who don't know who their representative is right or will be. Um, but then you also think about the people running, especially the non-incumbents who are you know they many of them don't have big cash. I mean, Ms. Miser has has raised a lot of money, but your typical non-incumbent does not. And, you know, you have people out there who have printed literature that has dates on it and those dates keep changing and they may or may not have the money to do another print run for whatever the heck date it's going to be out there. So it's, it's a total mess. Um, I, I hope that somehow our friends in Annapolis can come up with a new map in, you know, what, four or five days, whatever it is now, um, you know, the weekend is over. So they effectively have what, three days. Cause I'm sure they're not working right now, <laughs> but uh, you know, I know some people have said, Hey, you know, just throw out the map that Hogan's commission um, approved. And maybe that one gets through um, that one's not horrible. I think we'd still have a, a seven one with that map, but um and maybe that's the compromise position. Just go with that map and accept the fact that we in Maryland are stuck with Andy Harris until. So it's a mess. I mean, I think the most logical thing to do would be to adopt the Hogan Commission's map. Now, the Hogan Commission map, I think, makes it more of a 6-2 situation. I think it throws six and maybe throws two more into play. Uh, you know, so a 6-2 with the possibility of a 5-3 split. I mean, it's very, very difficult not to have, uh, you know, any less than a 5-3. But um, that would be the logical thing, but I don't see that happening. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the powers that be are not working this weekend uh, to work this out, because another thing that they've learned is that they have to have a legal strategy. They have to lawyer up. I mean, the Maryland Republicans went to... A, uh, a friendly judge and uh, and got this thing overturned. And so, um, you know, I, I think there was a, I think there's hubris all through this. And mm -hmm. I, I think that on the Democratic side, they're going to need to re they have to re they've realized now that they're also going to have to play the legal game and win at it in order to get what they want. Uh, the question is, is how much more of a delay is this going to take? And when is that going to have an impact at the polls? You know, I want to talk in a little bit about the uh, impact on the state redistricting, 
And, mm -hmm. you know, the, there's, I mean, there are challenges to the state map. I mean, the state map may also wind up getting thrown out. That would be a harder sell considering we're talking about 47 districts as a, or, or I believe the total number of sub districts and all that wound up being like 113, um, you know, as opposed to, um, you know, as opposed to eight. Um, but but I, I can't help but think that uh, this, this is all not conducive to running a healthy election. And uh, Democrats are very, very bad at playing this game. Democrats are very, very bad at playing the power politics game. You know, whereas, whereas Democratic leadership should be coming out saying, we want to make sure that our congressional delegation, you know, brings communities to, you know, is represented from districts that bring communities together, that, um, you know, tie communities together that have shared values. Uh, instead, they're playing a game which the average voter, in fact, finds revulsive and mm -hmm. with good reason, which is the numbers game. Well, right. if we have, you know, 500,000 people in this district and the other guys have 450 registered thousand registered voters, we win. Right. And right. that's that you can't always make that assumption. Um, and typically when Democrats in Maryland make that assumption, they lose. So yeah. so I really hope that some sanity comes to this soon. And I hope that we can get this settled no later than April 30th. So, that, you know, we have three months in which to run an honest to goodness primary election campaign. Yeah, I agree. And, and Bill, your point is so spot on about about Democrats and uh, the strategic blunders. And, and I, I almost feel like they went into this thing with a strategy of we'll win because this map isn't as radical as we could have made it. You know, so it, it felt like their argument was, you know, we could have went for eight zero because we've got super majorities and we didn't. So you should give us a break here. I mean, that, and that just right. clearly, you know, that strategy failed. But I, that to me, it felt like that's what I, I kept hearing was it could have been worse for you Republicans. So you should be happy that we didn't just drop the hammer on you. Exactly. Um, and, and that's not a it, that's not a legal argument, nor is it a decent political argument. No, no, it's a crap argument. It's a crap, you know, and, and, you know, I, I think that, uh, I, I think that the best play here is to clean this up, get a new map approved, and let's face it, I'm sure they have a hundred maps sitting around in folders and, you know, binders full of maps <laughs> that are sitting go. somewhere that, uh, you know, hard drives chock full of data. That, that, you know, they can crank out a, a much better map that's also more community friendly like that. Pass it. Uh, it passes legal muster. Done deal. Next yep. issue uh, is and this was I mean, before all of this kerfuffle happened, I mean, the Baltimore Sun, woeful as it may be, ran a great first page above the fold Sunday page a one article where they talked to State Senator Mary Washington and others about um, about the state legislative districts. And for example, in Senator Washington's case, she's always represented a solely Baltimore City district, but now the map has her out into Baltimore County. So now she's meeting voters in Baltimore County 
but yet that still may change. So, Steve, what what do you see a potential domino effect here with the state with the congressional delegation case, and then how it could play over into the state legislative races? Um, I, I see a potential play. I mean, um, there's a lot more to deal with. Obviously, you're not dealing with eight. You're dealing with however the heck many there are. 47. But, uh, 47. Look and at up that. to 141. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I could see somebody making a play. And and you mentioned, uh, you know, Mary Washington. Um, you know, you look at it here in Howard County, Eric Ebersol who under the new maps, um, you know, they, you know, it went A, B, and I forget the new district number, but basically, you know, he's running in an entirely new district as opposed to the one that he was in when he was in the old 12. And, you know, you think about the work, you know, and we know Eric, he's, he's a, you know, we both know him well, good guy, and he's a hard worker. And I've seen plenty of posts of him out in his, what would be new community meeting voters, knocking doors and all that. What if they get thrown out and he's back in, you know, good old, you know, District 12? Now, I think he would be fine because he's got name wrecked there. He's an incumbent. But, you know, it's an awful lot of work to put in for a district that you may never see because they throw him out. Um, the other one I think about that that could cause our Republican friends to make a play is District 9. I mean, love my Dems. I am one. But they pulled some real stuff with state legislative district nine and the accompanying, you know, house of delegates district nine a, it, it is what it is. I mean, I, I gotta be straight. It, they clearly pulled a lot down there for a lot of reasons that we don't need to break down nine, but you know, that's one that I'm sure Republicans would look at and say, no, 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 no. You, you guys clearly were engineering something to protect a couple of people here and pick up seats. So uh, it's possible. Yeah. I would not be surprised to see the state map thrown out, but I consider it a lot less likely. I mean, in large measure for the reason I mentioned is that you're talking about um, 47 legislative districts. Each one can be subdivided into up to three single member districts. So I, so a total potential of 141 districts, I believe the current map had 113 districts. I also believe there was another map, and this may have been the commission's map, the governor's commission's map, that I think had 99 districts. So Steve, that delta of 14 districts would be would be what you're speaking to, you know, individual districts where individual members are, you know, especially state delegates are protected and then uh, other possibilities are carved out around the state. And I think if anywhere there is, you know, maybe a margin, you know, in those that delta of those 14 subdistricts where a case could be made. However, I think the case, and I am not a lawyer, neither of us are lawyers, folks. However, uh, you know, in typically in redistricting cases, favor goes more towards um, maps that are drawn that allow for greater competition. So in the cases you mentioned, you know, 9A, 9B, they're more purpley. You know, one may be blue purple, the other one may be red purple, but they're more purpley and and they're not red. 
uh, which was what the governor's commission wanted in, in district nine. So, so that being the case, and if that is replicated elsewhere on the map statewide, then I can, I can't see potential. I can't see how a judge cannot say that a map that provides for more districts would not be conducive to greater competition. Right. Uh, frankly, my preference would be, you know, let let's subdivide every district into three sub districts. Let's have forty-seven senators and one hundred and forty-one delegates, each of them individually elected. You know, but we have what we have, and so because I think that that map does provide for more representation and more competition, I think it'll be held up. Yeah, and, and I think the other thing, if you're on the Republican side, because they obviously are the ones who would go after it, is, um, you know, I've not seen, you know, the, the governor's proposed map, but, you know, do, does do any of these maps materially affect the supermajorities that are going on right now? I think that if, if, if the governor's map opened the door to ending that, I think there might be more of a push, but I think, you know, the way Maryland is, I don't know if there's anything that can be done on the Republican side unless it's something equally radical to affect that um, makeup of, of our legislature. So uh, I, I could see the possibility of them not really pushing that one. I think there's much more concern about the, the House map. Um, so I, I, I agree with you. I think it's less likely that the maps will change. So um, but we'll see. Who knows? They got a W. They might start feeling themselves. Well, well, let's talk about another district, a district <laughs> in our in our beloved Howard County, uh, to which the the outcome of the state legislative map matters. I mean, we had recently uh, Chow Wu, Dr. Chow Wu, uh, candidate for House of Delegates in District 13. However, he mentioned on this very podcast that that may change to District 9B, depending on what goes on with the map. And so one has a very interesting conundrum and combination going on here. Um, You have so far on the Democratic side, still three weeks to go to the filing deadline. Crazy. Um, You still have the incumbent state senator, Guy Gazone, the head of Team 13. You have... Delegates Vanessa Atterbury and Jen Terraza, who one would assume would remain on a Team 13 slate, uh, running to take the place of the retiring Shane Pendergrass, although all three race, all three seats are, of course, up for election. But there is one open seat that's definitely available. But the Candidates for that are Senator Gazone's uh, former spouse, Pam Landman Gazone, and also uh, three people who have been interviewed on this very podcast. And by the way, we should ask Pam to be on the show, Steve. I, I can't believe we haven't done that yet. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, Amy Brooks, Becca Nyberg, and, and the aforementioned Chow Wu. So, you know, the word on the street, the mean streets of this 13 tell us that there will be a team 13 slate i would have to guess that uh that that uh, ms landman gazone will will have the inside track on that third spot and 
you know, a, a number of my friends from outside Howard County are giggling and guffawing at that about, oh, how embarrassing that is. That guy, his own former wife is running against him and, oh, she's going to, you know, talk bad about him and she, you know, all of that. Let me just say, I mean, being, being a home person from here, folks, that's not going to happen. Um, you know, that, that's, that is a, uh, a model of a, of a uh, civil cordial relationship between ex-spouses is, is the zone. So, you know, there's no, there's no dirt here to be seen. Um, but I would have to say that she would probably be the third member, which then would leave three people who, are, who would be candidates who would be on the outside of the slate looking in. And of course, this all may change based on the map. Steve, are you friggin' confused about what your options are? Because I know I'm kind of out. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to figure all this out. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, yeah, I, I it, saw it, you scribbling away. I think I saw you with a Ouija board. I think you were trying to get a hold of Scott Hall, maybe. I, I didn't know what was going on, but I, I, I saw, I, I thought I saw like, formulas and equations spinning around your head yeah. it was it was it was like it was like a scene out of it was like a beautiful mind meets goodwill hunting yeah i was doing some stephen hawking i think at one point i don't know but uh anyway um yeah this this race um is is interesting now the one thing i will mention about dr Wu, i believe he could be a nine a but but who knows with these maps i don't know if it's nine a or nine b but uh Anyway, the one thing I will note is that Dr. Wu very strategically and smartly, um, if you look at his science as literature, does not have a district number on it. <laughs> he, he, so I think he he himself, you know, obviously, you know, being a uh, being a PhD is smart enough not to stick a district number on it that has to be changed if the maps go to hell. So uh, I will give him that. The other thing that you talked about was a relationship between the Gazones and, you know, Team 13 tends to be pretty big on putting a third person on the slate pre-primary. If you look at 2014, um, back before all hell broke loose, it was actually going to be, you know, um, Janet Siddiqui. You know, there was a big kickoff uh, Labor Day of 2013. Uh, the late, great Elijah Cummings, I believe, was there, and she was on the slate. Now, obviously, a lot of stuff happened. We won't get into that. Whole other podcast of the story of 2013, 2014. In 2018, uh, there was a very interesting 48, maybe even 36-hour period where Delegate Frank Turner announced he wasn't ready for re-election. Then, th then Councilwoman Jen Terraza announced that she was running for House of Delegates. And then at a very notable party fundraiser, Frank Turner stood on stage in front of the whole room and said, thank you for everybody. By the way, I hereby endorse Jen Terraza to take my spot. And she was on Team 13. Uh, I do notice there's been no formal announcement from Team 13, and I think that is by design, and I think that comes straight from the man himself, Guy Gazone, who doesn't want to make the people of 13 feel like he's putting his thumb on the scale and trying to engineer his former spouse, who, to your point, um, they get on well, there are no issues there. Um, I, I think he is trying to avoid having that hung on him that, oh, yeah, he's just trying to engineer his people. So. Uh, Typically, these announcements come quick. There has not been one. So I think that they're going to let it play out, although we'll get into the race and some of the 
other folks who have interjected themselves into it already. But uh, it's an interesting race. I, I think you would have to favor Ms. Gazone um, to be that third person. And I, I'm, I'm thinking that the Team 13 signs with her name on it, if they're not in print already, they're certainly in uh, design and pre-production. And I'm sure the day after whatever the heck primary day is, we'll see those signs go up. <laughs> You, you know, all one has to do is to take the name Gazone and you have it at the top and then you also cut and paste that bad boy and go down the bottom. Although yeah. I, if I were Pam, I would, Pam, if you're, if you're watching or listening, I would go with Landman Gazone, but that's just yes. me. Um, but um, no, I, you know, the other thing, Steve, and this is what makes politics exciting and vexing at the same time is that as you well know these decisions they don't get made in public they don't get made in the open uh they yeah. get made through you know processes um which what the hell does that mean i don't know um you know and they get made at the last minute and they happen suddenly as as you just mentioned so oh it would be way too early to announce anybody else to be on that slate. There's three weeks because both of the situations you mentioned, as you may remember, happened right on deadline time or, you know, within, within a day or two of that filing deadline. So, so I would expect that, you know, as has been the case in the past, they will announce a, a slate prior to the filing deadline probably the weekend before the filing deadline. And, uh, and I, and I do believe that, uh, that Ms. Landman Gazone will be the, the, uh, candidate of choice as, as evidenced by her, um, you know, um, uh, being already endorsed by the aforementioned, uh, Shane Pendergrass, the retiring state delegate, uh, going, uh, door to door, or if they're not endorsed, I know they've, They've had some very close times together, but I can swear that there was a official. I believe there was an endorsement there. Yeah, and and uh, and, and uh, uh, Ms. Landman Gazone has been seen going uh, walking the the roads and streets of District 13 with Council District 3 uh, Representative Christiana Rigby, who is is a is a friend uh, to the to the Gazone family, uh, both Guy and Pam. So the the writing is on the wall, and you know, will what will the non-selected candidates do? I mean, will some choose to drop out? May some be drawn out? Um, who knows? But time will tell. Yeah. So. Um just a quick note on 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 Councilwoman Rigby and that endorsement. Uh, that was a surprise, not surprise on that one, because, uh, you know, she is a friend of the, the Gazones. Uh, Pam Gazone was a very early, vocal, hardworking endorser and supporter of, of Ms. Rigby's in the campaign. Obviously, I was in that campaign. <laughs> but, uh, you know, she, she put in a lot of work to make sure Ms. Rigby got elected. But so did Ms. Nyberg. You know, Becca was also an early endorser, early supporter. Um, I remember a conversation I had with her face to face where she told me that's what she was going to do. Um, and she was all in for Ms. Rigby as well. So, uh, you know, I had thought that maybe Councilwoman Rigby would sit it out, at least publicly, 
um, because she had two people who heavily supported her run uh, to the county council. But uh, you, you got to wonder what's going through the mind of uh, one Becca Nyberg, who uh, has has basically seen what what is a possible shot at an open seat come crashing around her. Um, and and to your point, what what does she do now? Um, since where, where she thought she could get votes uh, are being stripped away very quickly. Well, the, the people who are running are, are all out there running and they're, and they're doing hard work. And Ms. Yeah. Nyberg has been out there for a long time, Ms. Brooks, um, you know, also, and, and now Dr. Wu. So, no, this is not a thing to take. I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating process and it's, it's, uh, it's fun parlor discussion, but th this yeah. is a thing because you, you and I have both run for, non-party public office and and uh you know it's a lot of work and it's a yeah. huge investment of time and money and energy and you know your character gets assaulted your beliefs yep. get assaulted and tested but you know it's it's an it's an outlay of energy so much much respect to all of that but more food oh, yeah. for future podcasts uh steve yeah. within like the last seven or eight minutes that we have i do want to touch upon uh, and just ask one fundamental question. What the hell is going on on the third floor of the George Howard building, Steve? Um, you know, not, not only does the elevator in the building literally not stop on that floor. I think you've got to be keyed in now to get to the CE's office. But, but there's, there, there, is, there, are, there are just things happening. Um, you know, there is this uh, report out of another blog and another podcast that, um, you know, a lawsuit found uh, that's been being forwarded by another friend of this podcast, former state delegate Bob Flanagan, is gaining traction with respect to um, with respect to uh, certain uh, dealings and conversations that the county executive's office has been having with folks in the development industry. Um, there have been all sorts of minor kerfuffles and skirmishes. Um, you know, it seems that the uh, discrediting campaign of those on the periphery and not so much in the periphery of former County Executive Alan Kittleman is in high swing. Uh, but also, it also seems that that there are some, as I like, as I tend to call them, unforced errors coming forth from our county executive's office. Steve, I mean, you're, you're, you know, what, 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 what are you, what are you, what are you seeing, and what are you hearing about? Just what, what is, what is going on there? Well, I, I guess my, my, my comment, opening comment would be, it's just not a good look. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, yeah, I, I don't. Uh, let me just say this very quickly. Um, I, I, I've known Calvin Ball, Dr. Ball, for around a decade. You've known him longer, I know. Um, I consider him a friend. I know you do as well. He, he's a good guy, a good person who has dedicated many years to this county and has served it well in many, many capacities. And I do not say what I'm about to say. I don't, I don't take this lightly. I don't go into this conversation lightly. I know you don't either. It, these are hard conversations to have when it, when it concerns people who you like and more importantly respect. Uh, but 
in the spirit of Ford, Maryland, you and I have had this conversation when I joined the team. We got to be straight no matter who it is. And it's not a good look. You know, one situation involves Delegate uh, Jessica Feldmark. And again, full disclosure, you and I have both known uh, Delegate Feldmark and her husband for a number of years, consider them friends. But this whole idea where she's appointed to a position that you could draw some lines between, again, the development community and, and, and just uh, uh, inside baseball on steroids, uh, were any laws broken with that? No, um, these are not the kind of, kind of people who sit in the back room and say, we don't care about the law. Uh, are there any sort of ethics violations? I'm going to say no, because these are smart people. I'm sure somebody's office of law said, yeah, you can technically do this. Well, as, as you and I both know, Bill, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And that one is was and is an unforced error. And my professional, personal, and political advice to Delegate Feldmark is step down right now. Just get out, spin it however the hell you want to. You do it now. It's a non-story, probably by Easter, definitely by Memorial Day. If, if you don't, there is a candidate on the other side for county executive. And I know that Delegate Feldmark wants Dr. Ball to win re-election, but it, it plays right into where Former County Executive Kittleman is going with his campaign. You see some of the stuff he is putting out there, some of the stuff his supporters are putting out there. Um, it's this situation. The other situation, which is even worse, is I believe in that case, um, the Office of Law has already said there might be violations of the Open Meetings Act or some other uh, things going on there. I think I saw somewhere where they admitted that that things were not done the right way. And these are not good things in what is a tough re-election battle against a candidate who, and we can get into the cynicism of former executive Kittleman doing the Citizens Election Fund after vetoing the legislation that created it. Um, you know, we can, we can talk about that, but the fact is he's doing that. And I'm not saying that being in the CEF or taking some pledge makes you more ethical than the next guy, but when you're taking a pledge that says, I'm not taking developer money, when you're going to the CEF, which says I'm not taking special interest money, and your opponent is in a bit of a mess, politically speaking, over things that involve certain special interests, it's not a good look. It's not a good comparison. And I could see former county executive Kittleman all shucksing his way to make it a whole lot of hay. So that, that I know I've, I've thrown a lot out there, but this is not a pleasant subject and not an easy one. Bill, I know you, you're, you've known these the individuals even longer than I have. Um, so, well, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I've known both of these gentlemen for quite a long time and, and certainly have worked much closer with uh, Calvin and, and been much closer to him personally and, professionally than I had, but I can also remember a terrific 45-minute conversation I had with Alan Kittleman on the way to Frostburg to, or on the way back from Frostburg, visiting my son in school. I remember having a, a very nice interview with him when he ran in 2014. And, uh, you know, you know, look, I mean, I, I don't think that any of the people involved are sociopaths. I also think that everybody involved, you know, are personally likable 
and are at base good people. Yep. That being said, my experience here in politics in Howard County, and for that matter in the state of Maryland, is that Republicans cannot win based on vision. The P names of Republicans who were used to win based on vision were people like Connie Morella, uh, Helen Delich Bentley, Charles McMathias. You know, those types of Republicans don't exist anymore. You know, those type of more socially responsible, some may even say progressive, pro-safety net Republicans. They have been replaced by what's called that by what was called the yellow book Republicans, which means that if a service is listed in the yellow pages, then it should not be provided to the people by government. And that is where Bob Kittleman came from. That's where Alan Kittleman's come from. That's where Bob Flanagan's come from. Ellen Sauerbrey, uh, a lot of those stars. Oh, and I just thought of a couple other Anne Arundel County Republicans who were true bipartisans, John Cade and uh, Aris Allen, you know, former, former state senator, uh, Aris T. Allen was an African-American lieutenant governor candidate. You know, these guys are gone. So they've been replaced by the yellow bookers. And then the yellow bookers are now being replaced by the red hatters. And, right. and we see that in the form of Dan Cox. You know, I would say Larry Hogan, Kelly Schultz, Kittleman, Alan Kittleman may represent the last of the of the yellow pagers, and now the red hatters are coming. So, so, and and we know what the red hatters bring. You know, this is this is January sixth. This is you know what's you know what's white is black, what's black is white nonsense. This is not you know the you know we just want you know smaller taxes less government we're tired of being taxed 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 so i think it's the red hatters who are coming in in the evolution of the republican party so then what do democrats do to you know if the republican brand is to spew nonsense distrust hatred does it not behoove the Democratic brand to not play into that? Does it not behoove the Democratic brand to be about vision, capability, competence, substance on being on a higher level? Yeah. yeah. So then why don't we do that? Why don't, I mean, that's a rhetorical question. Yeah. Why doesn't that happen? I don't think that to your point about you know, Delegate Feldmark, I don't think any impropriety is meant, intended. However, it's the appearance, it's the right. look, it's the optics. You don't need to do it, so why do you do it? Right. So, yeah. and, and then, you know, it's the silly stuff. Like, you know, I haven't been to the George Howard building in a while, but, you know, <laughs> if the floor is being cordoned off, Okay, I understand that maybe from a security standpoint, but also think about it. That's a bad look. Can you yeah. not at the very least have a security person at the at the at the, right. the entrance to the office, which was the case the last time I was in the office and and I believe right. it was 2019 in the fall of 2019? Sure you could. You know, 
um, you know, when you feed into that, then you give the people who trade in fear fodder. And, yeah. and if there is anything less than a Calvin Ball re-election and four out of five at least Democrats return to the county council, it will be because, um, you know, this administration created unforced errors that caused distrust. Right. I said this during the award show. I still think it now. And I just kind of want it to stop. Now, the thing yeah. that I'm scared of, and I'll shut up about this because we're coming up on time, is this 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 lawsuit from former Delegate Flanagan, because this is not a thing where one can just clean up their act now and then everything is honky dory. Now we're yeah. talking about things that have happened all during the term. Now we're right. talking about about collecting records, who met who, who discussed what with who and all that stuff. And this can be a drip, 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 drip yeah. of information that comes out. And Bob Flanagan is playing Bob Mueller for the next, you yeah. know, six or seven or uh, seven and a half months. So, right. you know, again, you know, my, my strong imploring to my friend Calvin and to all the fine people who work in the George Howard building third floor is nose clean, heads down, yeah. nose clean. Be about what the future is going to be about, you know, be about that. Yeah. Don't be about silly things that wind up showing up in the newspaper for wrong reasons. Absolutely. And, and, and just be about the work because, you know, Dems win. If you look at issue after issue, federal, state, and local, Dems win on issues. Dems win on vision. Dems win on ideas. Um, we're, we're not good at the performance art, and I'm okay with that. Um, I know people will crush me for saying this, but I think Dems need to channel a little more politically speaking, not personally or ethically or anything else. Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, you know, we talk about, you know, we, we opened up with pro wrestling. Bill Clinton was Triple H. He was the game, and he knew how to play it, but he knew how to combine vision with that emotional connection, um, call it triangulation, call it whatever the hell you want to, but he was the master at, at connecting the dots in such a way that it, he got it back to ideas, and that's where he was right in his wheelhouse and he won. That's what devs need to do across the board, all the way up to the, the federal level as they're trying to hold the House and the Senate, but certainly here locally where that majority of 4-1 and that county executive seat, you know, if you're going to hold it, that's where you need to go. You need to make the connection to people and take it back to ideas and how we go forward. And all, all of these issues and things that we've been talking about do not allow you to do that because you're, you're, you're drowning in that stuff, trying to tread water. You know, as we've said before in politics, if you're explaining, you're losing. And that drip, drip, drip you talk about means the ball side is going to have to be explaining. And as new stuff comes out, they got to explain again and again. And if they're doing that, they're losing. <laughs> so you're right. Clean up the mess, get to the work, get back to what got you there in the first place, and you'll be okay. Well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll make this last point and then we'll shut up because we're at time. But 
you know, Clinton was probably the last national administration that truly ran on optimism. You know, what was the tagline? I still believe in a place called hope. Yep. And, you know, uh, I mean, even when Obama, I mean, Obama's campaign was very high on optimism. I would make the case that because of the nature of things that went on during his terms, that there was, you know, it was it was not another morning in America situation. But, you know, I, I, I did write a very famous uh, blog post back in 2018 or 2017 that mentioned that if Calvin Ball ran for county executive on a message of optimism, he would win. He would win hands down. And I still feel that, uh, you know, um, his reputation is already going to be tarnished. And I mean, I've seen some online ads from the Kittleman campaign with a very proud, smiling Calvin Ball while there are graphs and charts showing, you know, data about that things aren't really so great in Howard County, yet Callan's just standing there smiling over it all. A little bit iffy, those ads, for a couple of reasons, which I won't go into, but already trying to create the undermining argument. Yeah. You already know that that's going to happen. You already know that that's the playbook. Don't feed into it. Right. So, guys, third floor, chill. It's about yeah. future. Yeah. And Steve, the future of this podcast is already in the past because we are done. We are done yes, for sir. today. <laughs> yes, sir. Any last words about any of these things? Uh, no, I, I think that everything we talked about comes down to, you know, what happens in court, you know, new filing deadlines. I mean, uh, to your point, I can't believe we are looking at March 27th and we're still talking about a filing deadline. And, and you know, April is next week and we are still talking about, oh, we haven't reached the filing deadline yet. I, I'm, that just floors me and hopefully this gets situated soon for the voters for the candidates for us <laughs> for for all of those of us who love politics in maryland um please let, let's get this done so we know what the dates are we can start talking in terms of campaign not in terms of what and when and this map or that map and that's all i got amen to that well, folks, we are at the end of another podcast. I wish I could say I had a program for next week's podcast. I don't, but we'll find, we'll figure something out. We tend to do that. So for Steve Hunt, my name is Bill Woodcock. You have been watching or listening to another riotous edition of Forward Maryland. <laughs> Forward Maryland is the podcast that's just too sweet. <laughs> Have a great weekend, everybody. Take care.